Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. Hey, y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stefan Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. And welcome to uh, Stuff I'll Never Told You, as Annie just said. And I'm super excited, obviously, because you know, Annie, you know specifically, when we have guests on that I admire, I start getting really, really nervous and get a little bit fangirlish. So, you know, go ahead and put that in the preface. Listeners, you know how I get. So go ahead and be prepared for me to fangirl a little bit. Because today we have award-winning podcaster, yes, award-winning, and amazing activist, human rights activist, Sadia Khan. Did I say that right? Yes. Yes. Okay. I'm I'm really trying with this because, you know, it's a new... When I have accents or things that you do in a different type of language, you really want to honor that. But then at the same time, I'm, I suck. <laughs> you don't suck. <laughs> and other accents. I really, I really do. Um, Annie, you've heard my English accent. You've made fun of my English accent. What are you talking about? Well, that's when you're kind of goofing around. That's a different, oh, sure. thing. That's, that's a different thing. That's exactly what's <laughs> happening. Um, but yes, welcome to the show, Sonia. How are you? I am good. Thank you, Annie and Samantha, for inviting me. Thank you for coming. Yes, before we begin, if you would let the listeners know who you are and kind of just introduce yourself. Hmm. So I am a rights activist. I am an immigrant, Pakistani-American, intersectional feminist, inclusive feminist, mom, coffee drinker. I love my coffee. And I'm also the producer and host of a weekly podcast called Immigrantly, where we have conversations around race, identity, and the immigrant experience. We just launched another podcast called Invisible Hate, which focuses on hate crimes committed against minorities. And I'm trying to be more intentional about apologizing more and connecting with my inner self. 
That's my 2023 resolution. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. That is. I really like that. And we were so excited to have you on and uh, talking because your show aligns so well with our show. It's like, of course we should be friends. Of course you should be on this show. You should be on it regularly. (laughs) But we'll just move on with that. Um, But we are so glad to be able to connect with you because the things that you're speaking about, your podcast, which has been around for a little while, um, really connects to what we talk about when we talk about having to have a conversation today about intersectional feminism and what it means and why it's so important. And yeah, there's so many things we could talk about, um, but we do have to narrow it down or we'll be on this forever. Like I said, it should be a regular thing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But first, let's talk about your podcast. Oh, why, why, why did it start? How did it start? You know, Samantha, this may sound a bit cliched, but it started as a reaction to 2016 elections. I was working for a small civil society at the time as their policy specialist. And then elections happened and there was so much negativity around immigrant experience. And I had faced microaggressions because of my Muslim identity in the past But I always, you know, ignored them. I was like, doesn't matter. Maybe that's how immigrant experiences are. But then the rhetoric was becoming more normalized. And that was a watershed moment for me. And I felt like I couldn't sit on the sidelines anymore. And I felt it was time for all of us, people of color, marginalized communities, to take charge of their own narratives um, and not let somebody else define them. So Immigrantly was created, fun fact, it was called the Alien Chronicles. I was trying to reclaim the term alien. (laughs) I don't know, what was I thinking? (laughs) It's a very toxic term. It cannot be reclaimed. So we switched to Immigrantly a year into the podcast, um, which is short and sweet, conveys the message. It's been four years, more than 200 episodes, amazing guests. And yeah, we are learning every single day. Yeah, so I listened to the first episode and I had realized you had a name change. But it's so on point for, I think, uh, people like yourself and myself who are people of color who try to make other people kind of comfortable in kind of the mockery of ourselves in a little bit. And then you realize, this is not for me. This is to make white people comfortable. Why? Why am I doing this? And you have that moment of like, I don't have to do that for people. Hell yeah, let's let's get to what it is. And I, I think that's an amazing conversation. Y- you know that this is the beginning of the inner turmoil of loving yourself when you unravel that. Oh my gosh, I love that. And I've learned so much over the last four years and talking about first episode. So let me preface it by saying <laughs> that it sounds really raw. <laughs> and that's when we didn't have the kind of production quality or thematic depth that we have now. Um, so I would suggest to listeners start from our latest episode because that's more emblematic of who we are now. But you're right. In the beginning, there was so much learning and I'm not, um, I don't have um, education in production or audio production or any of those sorts of things. And I just did it because I felt I needed to. It was a visceral reaction. And I remember once I was talking to somebody and they were like, oh, so you are a journalist. And I'm like, no, I'm an activist. I'm not a journalist. And then she said something so profound. She was like, yeah, but you are doing journalism work. And I, that was not my default setting. 
I just fell into it because I had to. Right. And I love that. I love that you talk about how, yeah, at the beginning it was rough. This is a different sound. But you did it without knowing what you were doing. You did it because you knew that it needed to be that voice. And I'm really glad nothing held you back because that's exactly so true. And so many times that we talk about when we're encouraging or people are asking, should I do a podcast? What do you think about this? And it's like, yeah, there is room for you and there is a need for you and that nothing should stop you, even if it feels rough, even if you don't think you know what you're doing. Going forward, you will learn as you talk about. And and, and yeah, I listen to the latest too. It's amazing <laughs> to be able to grow and show what you have learned and to show that you can start at zero and go to this. It's amazing. I love it. Yeah, and it requires a lot of grit and persistence. It's not easy. There's a huge learning curve. It is frustrating at times. You just want to give up. And you're like, why aren't people listening? Where are my people? Where is my tribe? Whatever. But then you realize that people will come around. Right. If you're passionate and if you're true to who you are, authenticity is something that I just held on to throughout, um, whether it's my accent my storytelling, my immigrant experience, it's out there for everybody to just see. And Mm -hmm. if they don't like it, tough luck. (laughs) 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 Yes. Yes. Well, I'm curious, since you started, have you seen changes in podcasting, in kind of your listenership that, you know, for better or worse, both things, just have you seen... What have you observed in your time in podcasting? Of course, in terms of listenership and downloads, and a lot of podcasters are hung up on downloads. So yeah, those matter. And we've seen a jump in that. Of course, it's been a great journey thus far. But what I am really proud of is how I started as an individual. And then a year in, I realized that the kind of work that I'm doing I want other people, I want a team to work on it and bring their lived experiences. And then we created this amazing, incredible team of mostly women of color, young women of color who bring their lived experiences. So we've really improved in thematic depths, um, the kind of conversations that we are having. And to be honest, Annie, in the beginning... I was just shy. I couldn't really talk about things that were personal that I thought I would be judged on, especially within the American social and political discourse. Muslims, people from Pakistan are viewed a certain way. But now I am just unapologetically who I am, whether it's talking about, you know, my sexual journey or my life as an immigrant or as a mom, my journey with anxiety um, or mental health issues or how I view America and how I navigate two different worlds. It's all there. It's all an honest account of who I am. And that took some time. It wasn't easy in the beginning because as Samantha said, I was still trying to please everybody. And I stopped doing that because the onus is not on me to please others. 
Exactly. And I love that. And I love that you do share so much of your story, but not only that, you bring people on to share their story and narrative, things that you uh, really done. I listened to the Michelle Lee uh, episode, which hit really close for me. Obviously, I'm also adopted, so I was like, oh, here's an episode for me, and I love everything about this. But you do give this opportunity at every one of your episodes, it seems, for other people uh, to have their voice be out there and tell those stories as well. Um, why do you think those those types of experiences that other stories being told is so important? Because I feel stories are most powerful and tenable when they're told as first-person accounts. And therefore, for us, Immigrantly has become a space that we hold for others to share their lived experiences. It is not my place to share somebody else's lived experiences. And that's what we do. And that's what's so core to Immigrantly experience and Immigrantly narratives, because a lot of times, and this goes back to what I have experienced in America, whether it's in the media or political discourse, how conversations around Muslims, especially Muslim women, are framed. Somebody else is telling my story. And I didn't want to do that. I wanted to basically turn that narrative on its head and say, no, we are going to let other people tell their stories. Yeah, I mean, that's that's one of the things I find about um, podcasting that can be so powerful is when... For me, like I remember I grew up in a small conservative town and having that voice of somebody, oh, you're like, oh, they like me. I'm not alone. I feel that. And having that connection via podcast and what you're doing is so powerful and so important. I can just imagine like listeners all over hearing that and needing that and feeling something like ease inside because there's so much, there's so much you don't realize until you kind of start untangling it or until you hear someone else say it maybe and... I find that so powerful. So um, I don't know if that's kind of been your experience or how you feel, but that's that's what I feel. <laughs> I like listen to a good podcast. It's something like what you're doing is why it's so impactful and so important. Absolutely. And something else I want to say here is that sometimes it's a good exercise to just recognize that as humans, we have limitations in how we understand other people and their stories and to approach them from a place of curiosity and allyship. I feel a lot of times what happens is that people think they know other people's stories. So every time I have a guest, I just look at them from this place of complete, you know, intrigue and curiosity and I want them to lead the way and that's such a powerful way for me at least because I have understood so many things and going back to what Samantha said I think one thing that we do at Immigrantly which is really important to me is bring people from different cultural ethnic backgrounds religious backgrounds sexual orientations a lot of times minority groups live in their silos and they don't connect. There is lack of, I don't want to say coalition building, but collaboration. And with Immigrantly, I didn't want it to be just stories about Muslims or just stories about Pakistanis or South Asians. That was never the intent. And there are some incredible podcasts and content writers and creators who are doing that. And 
you know, more power to them. But for me, the goal was to just bring different communities together. Yeah, I love that. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We really dug into your podcast and really got you to talk about your expertise, but we'd love to hear some of the background that you've been through. Why do you think, you know, you wanted to share the story of your life? And uh, yeah, 2016 was awful. <laughs> like I, <laughs> the minute you said 2016, I was like, oh God, oh God, yeah, the memories. Um, there was so much that was happening. Uh, the talk about the refugees and the immigrant status and people, even today, actually, there's a lot of things that are happening with our current administration that I'm like, why? Why are you allowing this to occur? Can you tell our listeners a little bit about your background and your um, experiences? Absolutely. And I have shared this story on other platforms. So I... I'm sorry, listeners, if you've heard it already. Uh, but uh, I share this story because this speaks to who I am now. So my dad um, came to the U.S. in the 70s 
as a young engineer um, for work. And he instantly fell in love with the country. He just loved the idea of American dream. And he thought it was a meritocracy, which I don't think it is. Um, but that was my father's point of view. But then he had to go back after a couple of years um, to fulfill some familial responsibilities. And by then he had a green card, which at that time was probably easy to get, especially for professionals. And obviously my my dad had a privileged life in the US. So his experiences were obviously different from a lot of immigrants. He went back and he used to tell us these stories about America. And I felt as a child um, in the 80s and 90s, I felt as if I connected to people. And when I came in early 2000s on my own adventure, it was in fact out of want than need. We just wanted to, my husband and I, we had just gotten married, wanted to experience the American life. He got into this great program um, in Cambridge at MIT and we came to the U.S., but this was around 9-11. And America had become a lot more paranoid and angry and resentful, especially towards people like me. And that to me was shocking. Although expected, yet shocking, because I had heard stories that were so different. Initially, I didn't pay attention because I thought we'd go back. It was just like a year, two years. And I used to watch Jerry Springer. So for all Gen Z people out there, they probably even <laughs> don't know what that is. But I used to watch that in early 2000s and consume it. And I thought, you know, that's how all Americans behaved. Not true. Oh, no. <laughs> but anyways, as years went by and we settled down and my kids were born, the stakes were getting higher, right? I was more invested in the American idea of equality and justice. And I won't say practically that is the case, but the idea, the idea that the experiment, the social experiment that America is. And I started to notice more microaggressions around me, right? So things like go back to where you came from, or were you allowed to go to college in Pakistan? <laughs> and a lot of interesting stories and questions. People would not understand my accent, my name. I remember my daughter was in sixth grade and she was called um, the Queen of Taliban. Now, this is the kid born and raised in America, doesn't know any place else. And she was a, in sixth grade. She was, what, 11? And it was so shocking and disheartening. And I started working for human rights organizations, went to grad school, did my master's in human rights, wanted to dedicate my life to realization of rights. Internationally, I was focused more on that. But then 2016 elections, as I said, happened. And I was like, why am I focused globally? Why am I doing that? There is so much to learn and there is so much to unlearn in America. And that's when that paradigm shift happened for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I can't imagine for your daughter that feeling of being outsider when this is all you know and you're having to explain yourself when you're like, I experienced similar things like you. I've been here the whole time. I don't understand why you're othering me and right. why, therefore, we have to have these lines. But it's so heartbreaking, I'm sure, as a mother to see that and try to explain that to your child. 
And especially for a child, as you said, Samantha, for me, I consider myself an outsider and an insider. I don't fully think I am American or Pakistani anymore. I'm somewhere in the middle. But for my daughter to feel that way or to be made to feel that way is just cruel. (laughs) Sorry. I have to sit in those moments. I'm like, you know, you have a moment of like trying to untangle your own feelings in that because there's something so personal for me, especially, and I'm sorry for you, when you have that moment of seeing that, remembering kind of what that is, and then coming back to, but this is another child and you wish you could protect all children from this type of nonsense and ignorance, but you know it's going to be a forever thing. So you have to navigate how to speak about, this is not the only time. I don't want to destroy your goodness and your love and your hope for the future either. But like, there's just a moment of like, how do I do this not too cynically? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and try to break it down. But of course, that's kind of what you're trying to do with this podcast. And I love this. And I love that you break down the experiences of individuals as well as bringing in your perspective in it. And yeah, you're growing your team. I, I know that your team is quite young. So I love seeing that you are mentoring your staff to do this for the next generations to come. That's such a wonderful thing to see. And they are mentoring me. We have such (laughs) robust conversations, right? Sometimes, as I said, with my kids and with this team, I'm like, tell me, how do we use TikTok? Right. I mean, we're really going through that right now. Right. We also yes. have a Jinzir who just graduated from college and they're like, we're going to do a TikTok for you. And I was like, what? We're doing what? What are we doing? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. I've told Understood. them, I said, just, you know, send me guidelines or whatever. I will follow them because when I create <laughs> my own TikTok videos again, they are just so bad. And as my kids would call it, so cringy. Um <laughs> But yeah, I'm learning so much from them. Their their unabashed honesty. Honestly, this generation doesn't give a f***. They don't care. They are (laughs) who they are. And they look at things as a collective endeavor. For Mm -hmm. them, it's all about how our actions are impacting others. Right. They really have come to a whole different understanding. And I I love that. Um, And I also love that you also make sure that in your podcast, uh, that you are bringing diverse voices, which is what you were talked about before. You don't want to just tell one side of the story. You want to tell all the sides of the story, which is so important. And we've been kind of going back and forth from the beginning of the show, which was uh, two other hosts, which Annie's actually been a part of the show from Jump, even though she wasn't the host. So she's she's old school. But like 10, 11 years ago, when it originated uh, to today, it, the world has vastly changed so quickly. And one of the things that we've talked about is keeping it and making sure that we are having this conversation of diversity and that not only our show is changing that, but we're making sure that others who ask about the podcasting world that we're emphasizing the need for diversity. Do you see, since I know you've started uh, in 2016, do you see a big change? Have you seen the diversity hopefully grow or do you think it's gone backward? So the podcast started in 2018, end of 2018, almost beginning of 2019. The elections obviously were a huge impetus, but I waited at least a couple of years before (laughs) I could, you know, do it. In terms of diversity, I feel like I am almost reluctant to use that word often because I feel diversity 
can be misconstrued or sometimes be performative. So how do we define diversity, right? What does it mean? Are we holding space for people to use their voices or to critique or to are we dismantling systems or are we just using diversity as a token or to weaponize it to say, you know what, we've done what we're supposed to do and it's okay. So diversity can be a tricky term, but if it is done in a proper, well-intentioned, well-executed way, not even just well-intentioned, I'm sure there are a lot of well-meaning people trying to do diversity and they still mess it up. Um, I think it can be a very powerful tool. And we have come a long way. And I think a lot of people of color and diverse communities are demanding the kind of diversity that will dismantle systems of oppression, um, which wasn't happening before. People were content with the kind of diversity that was fed to them. And that's a huge change in the last at least four or five years through activism, advocacy, content creation. We are seeing a lot of that. Right. Yeah, I, I like what you just said, like the whole performative, because it does become a trendy word um, instead of an action. And yeah, I think that's right on when we talk about it, because we see that too often, that when we're saying we want diversity, yes, we will bring in marginalized communities, but as long as you uh, fulfill our narrative, but we're going to say at yeah. least we have that person, right? Look, which is also the tokenism that we often see. They make us comfortable enough to bring it in because they're going to say what we want them to say, which is that hierarchy of white supremacy that often happens and dismantles within uh, within the marginalized communities. That becomes a stumbling block uh, for within the marginalized community in itself. Uh, and we see that so often. It's so tragic to me to see that yeah. when you see that own like self-loathing within the community that they wish they were white which that was a my childhood that was my childhood until I, like I was like wait this is not gonna ever work <laughs> what is this Samantha I love 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 the germ that you just use self-loathing I see that in if all marginalized communities it's like, okay, let's change because America is not accepting us. There must be something wrong with us, right? So your empowerment, your success, your emancipation becomes a function of your proximity to whiteness, right? And I see that around me and I'm sure at one point I was doing the same. We all do it to some extent. But to recognize that we do it and we self-loathe and we want to change because we are not accepted as we are and who we are is a profound learning experience, right? Um, and I hope more people can just sit with that thought and say, you know what, that's true. I do that. Whether you course correct or not, that's your journey. Nobody can tell you when to. But recognizing is the first step. Right. I absolutely agree with that. Um, and speaking of, because I'm going to jump into a little bit outside of the podcast, because uh, I have read a few of your articles that you've written. I love them. Um, and one of them, uh, you uh, wrote, we need to replace white feminism with inclusive feminism. And you know, of course, that spoke to us. We were like, oh, yeah, we have to jump on this. Um, and 
It was so needed. But in your article, you talk about the need to hold white feminism accountable. And yeah, that's something we talk about often. And it's made people uncomfortable. Uh, we, we made a lot of people uncomfortable, and that's and it should. Um, and it should on every level. And as we've changed throughout the years, and we've had so many conversations on why intersectionality has to be the core of the feminist idea for it to make change. Because we've seen feminism. It's been around, but it's not made change. It's made some changes but not full change. And you referenced the term, and you said it earlier, inclusive feminism. So can you talk about that for a minute? So I came up with the term, I am a huge fan of intersectional feminism. I've used it in the past, but sometimes I find it to be too academic for me. And I thought, what other word could I use that's more, I don't want to say mainstream, but easy to use and navigate. And I thought, why not? make it simple or simpler and say inclusive feminism. So I basically started using this term after my article and I tried to correct myself and use it more because I really truly believe in it. In the context of feminism and white feminism, I'm sure there are a lot of amazing white feminists out there, but what I found problematic is how prescriptive white feminism is, right? I don't think it meets people where they are in their empowerment journey, right? So wherever I am in my empowerment journey as a Muslim woman of color, as somebody of Pakistani descent, meet me there. Don't impose your idea of how empowerment, emancipation, freedom, equality should look like for me. Because my identity has so many other dimensions and lived experiences that combine, that intersect and make it more complex for me to be who I am in the ways you want me to be. And that's why I find white feminism problematic at times. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's something that we've often talked about. We got a course correction at the very beginning when uh, the Black Lives Matter uh, occurred and uh, as well as the death of George Floyd. We all had this conversation and we started with a book that was recommended to me because I have a white family who is very conservative. And so we're very at the opposite spectrums um, that has kind of hurt our relationship. And, and the book was White Fragility, but it was written by a white woman. And we got we got called out real quickly. They're like, hey— this is probably not the book that you should. And and in understanding, this book is for white people. <laughs> we did write it that was written for white people, and that was kind of our thought process. But yeah, as a bigger platform, we should be uplifting the black women who have already written and written and written so many books and so many articles for us to lean on. And like we had to kind of come back and correct ourselves. Like you are correct. Absolutely. We should we should do, we do this and and understanding we have to go to the bottom of or to the beginning of those who's already been working on these narratives and not allow for the others who are maybe cashing in. I don't think that was the intention, but it kind of feels like could be cashing in. <laughs> Absolutely. Thing. And by promoting those narratives and internalizing them, manifesting those narratives, we are saying that other people from different communities, ethnic, cultural backgrounds, they have agency, they have voice. What they don't have is the platform. What they don't have is other people holding spaces for them. 
And that's where I find it extremely problematic when I'm being taught how to live my life by somebody who's never lived my life. Right? So in the article, I talk about how white feminism can be problematic when it's imposed on people in countries like Pakistan, Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan. I talk about a lot of white feminists that I disagree with, but there's something else. And I was thinking about this before the interview because you guys mentioned you'll talk about feminism in general. And something that really struck me in ways that I never thought it would was this incident that happened in 2020 in Central Park in New York. Remember Amy Cooper, who was walking her dog and she called police on this black um, bird watcher who was just there and she didn't have her dog on the leash and he just pointed out that your dog is not on leash and That incident is quintessentially how sometimes white liberal women use their power, right, to harm other communities. She knew exactly what she was doing by calling police on Christian Cooper. She knew exactly the repercussions. And then to have the audacity to say, I'm not racist, really? That's messed up. She knew the power her tears right. would have. Right. Which we've seen constantly. And now I make a joke about Karens. Yes. And pe- Karens are very offended by that. Actual people named Karens. Apologies to them. But, <laughs> <laughs> but that's kind of where that narrative came in. Because we had to, like, it. again, I think that even though that was offensive to a point, we also had to make it a joke because it's too much of a reality that is. white women tears is dangerous. It is dangerous, it is dangerous. For, uh, for so many people of color, specifically black men, uh, men of color. And we, we have to have that conversation of like, why is it there? Now we found something for you to be offended by. But we had to uh, pull it down a bit, take the seriousness out a bit. Again, not we, but like in general, marginalized communities. It's that same story of trying to kind of make it comfortable and make it almost normalized, which is also very dangerous in that conversation. Um Yeah, and I love the article in itself that you are so very blunt. I know. And calling it out. I love that. That's us. That's us. We we add 100% stand uh, on that because it needs to happen. We have to be able to have that conversation and being able to call others out and ourselves out when it happens. I mean, all of us have been racist at times. I've said this in the past. If, If I think I've never demonstrated some racist views, whether consciously or subconsciously. I don't even believe in that subconscious idea of it, but still approximation to whiteness or willingness to approximate to whiteness also makes you racist in ways that you don't even realize. So yes, of course, South Asian, East Asian communities are racist in so many ways. At the very least, they suffer from problems like colorism, And again, calling it out and saying, okay, this is bad, but what we are doing is also bad. And we may say it's the result of colonialism and it's our colonial hangover or whatever it may be. But if it is harming other communities and if we are complicit in perpetuating those harmful paradigms, then we need to be accountable. Whether we were at the you know, at the outset or not, we should be held accountable as well. Yes. 
Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, then look no further than the Marketing School podcast hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast in the United States and number 15 on business in the United States. And it has amazing guests such as Alex Hormozzi, Layla Hormozzi, Cody Sanchez. We pull in these amazing interviews with other people that are not only great marketers, but actual operators. And the icing on the cake is Neil and myself were also operators as well. So we share learnings from the trenches. We share secrets that we otherwise wouldn't be sharing with other people. And we also share other advantages that will help you get ahead of your competition. So all you have to do is listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As Samantha said, this show's been around a long time, and the conversation has shifted so much. And um, as we are learning and as we are like trying to correct um, and be better all the time, be better and more inclusive. We've also, we have our listeners as well who've come with this journey with us, who have pointed these things out, who have done the work or, or like, like Shinta's like, oh, I wrote this article, like, which is amazing. That's so cool, listeners, that you do that. But you, we also get... Um, some hate like you know we get we get some backlash <laughs> from people who i'm sure have like never literally never listened but from some people who have as well and um i'm just curious if you've if that's something you've experienced and if so how do you deal with it 
Annie, honestly, I don't pay attention to it. <laughs> I just... I love it. I think I'm just... I guess I'm scared to even pay attention because I feel if I did, then it will prevent me from being myself. And I'm, I've just embarked on this journey after a long time and I don't want to stop. So I am just going to, you know, block those noises. And if people think that I'm being ungrateful or if I don't understand something or, you know, again, go back to where you came from. Good for them. <laughs> <laughs> Your turn. You do the same. Yeah. Go back to where you came from. <laughs> Last I checked. Right. You're not Native American, are you? Yes. Mm. <laughs> no. <laughs> right. I love that. Yeah. That's definitely something that we're trying to... I'm trying... Annie's Annie does, does a little better. I'm a little newer to the scene trying to navigate uh, what it looks like to be a public voice and then also having people who disagree or just don't like you, uh, just don't like the way I speak. I get that a lot often, um, which is what it is. And you kind of just want to be like, then don't listen. It's not right. It's not that hard. You just <laughs> actually, this is not like the radio. You actually could just off and find something else. <laughs> exactly. If you're making this choice, if you're being intentional about it, then be open to what we have to say. Look, I have an accent and I mess up my V's and W's. And I'm okay with that because I speak right. five languages. Right. It's fine. <laughs> That's a whole different yeah. level. You're like, no, I have a way more knowledge than you. Yeah. Move on. <laughs> but it's interesting. I do mess up my V's and W's. Yeah, I don't know why I do that. Yeah, I do L and R's a little bit. And, you know, it's funny because my dad, um, he's very well-versed and all. And growing up, he would, like, I would mess up my V's and W's. And I remember my dad always pointed it out. But he never told me what to do with it. <laughs> like, it's like, okay, you're, you're pointing it out. You think I don't say it correctly. Then tell me how to say it. Then what's the correct way? <laughs> what's the correct way? Don't do that to your kids. Don't, don't be do that mean. You know, I, and I love that, that you've talked about this a couple of times, and I know you've talked about it on your show, but about um, your accent, about people, whether it's they hold a bias against you because of your accent or they they feel a certain type of way. Um, and I think you are so, you're one of the few, and I love it, actually talk, actually talks out loud about it and being proud of the fact that, yeah, this is not my native tongue, but I can speak it fluently, so what? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's interesting. It's interesting because I never... As far as I can recall, I was never conscious of my accent. And this may be me being naive or whatever. But other people would point out things like, oh, you know, you're starting a podcast, which is a very, you know, it's an audio medium. Do you think people will be okay with your accent? And I was like, well, I love my accent. And if they <laughs> don't, then as you said, don't listen. But at the end of the day... When I came to the U.S. and over the years, I realized how traumatic it can be for people who have accent. They are unable to speak. They are conscious of how they interact with others. And I feel so sad that we would make other people feel that way just because English is not their native language. What the f***, guys? <laughs> don't do it. 
Yeah, seriously. Like, the way people on the internet think they can just... Well, I mean, in real life as well. But in this particular conversation about podcasting, there's so much judgment around women's voices and then any intersection around that, it gets bigger and bigger. And I just am like, stop. It's <laughs> you baffling. Have to do this. It's baffling. It's, it's, just, it's like so easy. You don't have to even write. Why are you writing? Like, there's no, yeah. just go on. Like, I've had many things that I don't like. Many people that I'm thinking, I probably wouldn't get along with them. <laughs> But I don't have to write about it. That seems like such a loss of Mm -hmm. energy. (laughs) Why would you want to put that energy out? Why? Some people (laughs) like to be nasty. That's their MO. It's true. They just like that. Um, And it's sad because they lose so much. They lose out on so much when you're being negative. Right. Right. Yes. (laughs) It is true. And that's something like, um, speaking of, I I love what you said earlier about like the younger generation, like giving no And I love that we're seeing more and more uh, marginalized people, women of color especially, come into the podcasting space, which for so long has been predominantly white, predominantly men. It is changing. It's very slow, but it is changing. That makes me very, very happy. And I, when people used to ask me, because I've been podcasting for 10 years, like what advice I would give, I used to kind of hesitate because I'd be like, well, you're going to people are going to be mean to you. Like, I want to set the reality of it and I want you to know it and I want you to take care of your mental health and I think that's a thing that we have to tell people. But I like that now it seems, like you said, like you just don't listen. You like tune out that noise. I wish we didn't even have to do that, but I do like that that's happening. We're seeing this space expand to include these such necessary voices and life experiences. But for you, if you had to give advice... To people listening who are like, oh, maybe I have so- I have a good story to tell. I haven't heard it or I haven't heard it in this way. Uh, what advice would you give? I would say first ask yourself, why do you want to launch it? I think why is the most important thing. For me, it was clear why I wanted to. And when we know the why, then we are more committed because then it's not like, oh, you, you know, everybody's doing it, so I'm doing it. That's one. Be persistent. It's unfortunate, but the more content you produce, the more people will get to know your work and they will come back. And there are going to be moments of frustration and anger and anxiety and vulnerability. Accept them, internalize them. They will fuel you. It's okay. You know, just I think in America, something that really bothers me is that we don't value vulnerability. We don't value you know, being scared, it's somehow conflated with weakness and all of that is good. Vulnerability is good, good. So do that. And I will also say something to listeners, although Annie didn't ask me to, but I will still, (laughs) uh, support different voices. It's a difficult medium. There are more than 2 million podcasts out there and some people are privileged. I consider myself to be privileged to be able to sustain it for so long. Being an independent podcaster, a lot of people do an amazing job creating content, but they can't sustain it. And if they can't sustain it, you won't hear from them. And that is key and so crucial to making sure that these voices continue within this ecosystem. Um, Otherwise, people give up. Yeah. Yeah. That's great advice because 
when people give up, we lose those stories and they're... Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Before we wrap up, is there anything else you want to say? We'll give you the whole spotlight so you can shout out where listeners can find you and everything, but... Thank you for giving me this space. Thank you for this wonderful conversation. I felt as if I was talking to two friends that I just met. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I'm so glad that Alexandra was able to connect us. She is yeah. so nice and sweet. <laughs> and yeah. I'm glad that I know her and to my awesome mm-hmm. team and to everybody who listened and to everyone who listens to Annie and Samantha's podcast. Um, yeah. 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 Shout out to Alexandra. She is doing her thing, making sure those podcasts are getting out and uh, that these voices are being heard. So great job, Alexandra. (laughs) Yes. Yes. It's it's so important to to recognize the people behind yeah. who are making this all this happen that we're hearing. Um, so I do love that. I love that. Um, I love that you said we often are trying to like make friends on this show. It's sort of a low-key thing. That's, that's, that's what I... That was the whole... Uh, my background in getting onto this podcast. I was like, I just want to make cool friends. So this is how I'm going to make friends. Yes. <laughs> we're, I'm, we're friends. We're just saying. We're friends now. And we would love to have you back. Cause, because we did Aww. have to... Also, as Samantha said, we had to really like narrow it down. There were just right. so many topics we could have discussed like, with you. <laughs> I wanted to talk about that white savior article. I wanted to talk about, yeah, I just want all of them. <laughs> oh, yeah. That would be so much fun. We, we could have like WhatsApp group chat yeah. or something on, <gasps> on all of that. these topics. And then be like, come yes. back on. So we want to have yeah. a long discussion on it. Yeah, we're going to do that. This is going to happen. I'm excited. Yes. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I love it. Well, in the meantime, where can the listeners find you? On every streaming platform. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. And um, so Instagram handle is at ImmigrantlyPod. Our Twitter is at Immigrantly underscore pod. And my Twitter handle is at SWK Khan, K-H-A-N. Yeah. Again, thank you so much for having me and to all the listeners for listening. Yes. Thank you so much for coming on. It was a delight. Um, and we can't wait to have you back. And listeners, go go check out and support Immigrantly uh, if you don't already. And you can find us... You can email us at stuffmediamomstuff at iheartmedia.com. You can find us on Twitter at Momstuff Podcast or on Instagram at Stuff I Never Told You and TikTok as well. New TikTok. Mm-hmm. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> thanks as always to our super producer, Christina. Thank you, Christina. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff I Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. 
brilliantly boring since 1865 as a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. Summon your anticipation for an all-new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. This season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix, May 16th. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop starting May 2nd. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.